0: This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Swinburne Astronomy Online, the world's longest-running online astronomy degree program. Visit astronomy.swin.edu.au for more information. Today's show is brought to you by Casper. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting Casper, that's spelled with a C, casper.com slash astro and using promo code astro.
1: Astronomy Cast, episode 360, Jocelyn Bell Burnell. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts based journey through the cosmos where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a professor at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, and the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. How are you doing, Fraser?
1: good good I'm, I'm feeling a little sniffly today so I uh, I reserve the right to sneeze uh, once or twice during the recording but I know uh, uh, Preston will, will remove that and so it'll never happen you've got uh, a uh, a bit of an announcement about our uh, about some some things people can wear
0: I I do Do so. uh, We've had a lot of people saying, Hey, we know Astronomy Cast t shirts exist. Can we get some? And the answer is yes. Uh, If you go over to astrogear.spreadshirt.com, we have mugs, we have t shirts, and you can customize them. We have boy cut and girl cut. You can pick out the colors that you'd like them to be in. And uh, proceeds from buying these shirts goes to support keeping all of our programs running. Basically, you're paying for the servers if you buy mugs and T-shirts and sweatshirts. So please buy mugs and T-shirts and sweatshirts at astrogear.spreadshirt.com.
1: They make wonderful festivist gifts.
0: And new to miss.
1: New to miss?
0: new right so so uh newton was born on christmas day oh that's right
1: oh that's great i am totally selling celebrating newton Miss.
0: so so we we acknowledge all of the birthdays here that's
1: awesome all right well pamela we've got something special this week we've got a new sponsor for astronomy cast and that is Casper.com, and they make mattresses. The cool thing with this is they sent us both, individually, mattresses to to test out. Did you get yours?
0: I did, and it was this crazy situation where I, I kind of forgot to tell my husband there was a mattress coming, and he opens the front door, and there's a box that is just big enough for a human to fit in, which is actually really tiny when you think about mattresses.
1: Well, you got like the twin size one or the smaller one, right? right. Yeah, and so and so I got the king-sized one. And what's amazing is I don't think the box for the king-sized one was any bigger than the one that you had. And there was like, I don't know what laws of physics they broke to get this mattress in there, but it was folded and rolled. And so they gave you the special knife to cut the thing open and then it and then it just sort of inflated. And you had a full on king size mattress and it was super comfortable. We actually have gotten rid of the old mattress and we're using the Casper mattress. It's a terrific mattress. So we uh, now, having tested it out, I am really glad we got them as a sponsor for Astronomy Cast.
0: I have to say the same thing. I got an extra large twin one to put on the daybed where I do a lot of reading and fussing around on my iPad and all that sort of stuff. And initially, I just kind of put it on top of the old mattress, and that lasted for about two days. And then the old mattress sort of got ditched. And it's awesome. It's squishy, but firmish and it doesn't have the problems our Tempur-Pedic mattress has of making you super hot.
1: Yeah, exactly. You're not up against this kind of foam that gets you really hot. No, it's a, it's great. Uh, so, so the good folks at Casper, in addition to sponsoring Astronomy Cast, are providing you with a discount on your own mattress. So if you go to casper.com slash astro, and then if you use the promo code astro, You can get $50 off your own mattress and they will ship it to you, I think, anywhere in the United States. This
0: means that you can fall asleep listening to Fraser and I while sleeping on the exact same mattress that Fraser and I are not on the same mattress, but the same kind of mattress that
1: we have. So go to Casper.com slash Astro. Use the promo code Astro and you'll save $50 on your own mattress. So, Jocelyn Bell Burnell is an Irish astronomer, best known for being part of the team that discovered pulsars. And I love this story, which I hope uh, we'll get at it. And the following controversy when she was excluded from the Nobel Prize winning team. Oh, this is a theme, huh?
0: Yeah, yeah. Themes sometimes happen. I mean, our, our original theme was awesome modern astronomers. And I went down the list of awesome women who are still alive who forced textbooks to get rewritten or led to the things that we all learned the names of. And um, it just happened that a lot of these women did things that had they been a guy probably would have gotten them a Nobel Prize, but not a guy. So
1: Nobel Prize, please. Okay, well, let's let's start with with I think we've done this sort of before, but let's start with the big discovery that Jocelyn Bale really helped with. And then we'll kind of go back around and and actually talk about her, her history and what she's been working on. And that was Pulsars.
0: Right. So she was a graduate student in the 1960s. And uh, while a student at Cambridge, she worked on building a large radio uh, facility to look at the sky in literally a different color, in this case, radio light instead of optical light. And when she started getting her data, there, there was this uh, what, in a very British way, they referred to as scruff
1: in the signal. Did, isn't that when they were looking for like bird poop back of the cosmic microwave background? Yeah, no, I understand. Right. But it's that same thing, you know, I think the Brits would have called that scruff
0: probably probably so so in her her data of this one particular place in the sky and that's always a hint is it's that one place in the sky um there was this bit of scruff and she would take all the data she could on this object and it just seemed to be ticking like a clock once a second and she basically had to chase down her advisor and say no look really this is real and he didn't want to believe her originally and then when he did believe her they of course published the results and then he would do big conferences and she'd end up having to speak but he wasn't the one inviting her um and it just kind of went on like that for a good long time and it was this awesome discovery that at the end of the day they had to figure out well what could possibly be making a ticking noise or in this case a ticking light signal that got translated into noise once a second and the only answer that made sense aliens. given well they did call it the little green men at one point um but but aliens aside uh neutron stars are one of the few objects out there capable of holding themselves together while rotating that rapidly. And through a variety of different types of observations, it was narrowed down to, by golly, this is a neutron star rotating. And eventually it was figured out. It has a magnetic field that isn't aligned with the rotation axis of the star, sort of like the Earth's magnetic field isn't aligned with the rotation axis of the planet and as that magnetic pole goes through our field of view we get this burst of radio signal and she's the one who found this discovered this forced someone to look at the results and go here is this awesomeness it's not scruffing the data
1: there's something and- out there pulsing every and i've got the number here Are you ready for this seconds. In other words, every 1.33 blah, blah, blah seconds, we get a radar pulse like a like a lighthouse flashing us. Which which must have been terrifying to to sort of or amazing, astonishing to to see an object with that kind of regularity out there in the cosmos.
0: Luckily we we see the signal and then figure out what it is. So I think if we saw a star rotating at a thousand times a second at a distance that wasn't very far away, it might start as terrifying. Luckily, we're like what is this? And then only after a while do we realize that some object really far away and and when it's really far away and it takes you a while to figure out, it's just awesome. You skip straight to the awesome, bypass the terrifying. Yeah, but
1: this is a slow spinning you know, L- right. LGM-1 or PSR J1921 plus 2153 uh, is, you know, only only turns a little over once a second while they're, you know, millisecond pulsars out there.
0: Right. So so there there are objects that are greater in mass than the sun, smaller in diameter than. Like Manhattan, basically, that are rotating a thousand times a second.
1: Right and blasting out radio waves,
0: right as one does as,
1: as one, one does. does. Yeah. So so then I guess uh, you know once they had discovered this this object, what was sort of the thought process? What do you think was going on apart from it being scruff? I mean, how did they make that connection between it being a neutron star and and what they were seeing in the data?
0: Well, you do look at things in multiple wavelengths and start to figure out, okay, so what could be causing this? What is in that area? Are there more of them? More of them were found. And you just put the pieces together one by one and realize there's only one thing this could be. And really, if you think about any other object rotating that quickly, it would fling its surface off if it tried. So you can't get white dwarfs going that fast. You certainly couldn't get the sun going that fast. You need something that is very tightly bound together. And a black hole can't exactly give off light every thousandth of a second because black hole. And uh, so when you eliminate the white dwarf and recognize that black holes don't emit light, that leaves you just with the neutron star.
1: Uh, and what is the process? And we've done a whole show on pulsars and neutron stars, so I don't want to you know, give the long versions, but, but how, what gets you that rapidly rotating uh, thing that's blasting out the radiation on a regular basis? So, so as we talked about a few episodes back,
0: uh, there's this horrific thing called can- conservation of angular momentum. And uh, the side effect of this is that when ice skaters or stars physics doesn't care which you are uh, when they go from having their mass spread out over a large volume, the ice skater with her arms straight out to having their mass spread out over smaller, vo- smaller volume. This is the ice skater bringing her arms in. Yep. You're going to speed up. And when you go from being a giant star to this, residual leftover bit at the end of probably a supernova explosion um what's left of you has to take whatever angular momentum that giant star had as it slowly rotated its giant self about its axis and when you go from perhaps being the size of jupiter's orbit or larger down to manhattan you spin up a lot, mm-hmm. and and it's just that conservation of angular momentum coupled with supernova explosion.
1: So the conservation of angular momentum gets you the rotating speed, and the the beam. It's not actually that it's pulsing and flash uh, flashing like this. It's that there's a there's a beam coming out of these things.
0: Right, and, and that's the magnetic field. It's physics is very similar to how we get the beams coming out of the ends of quasars. You you have magnetic fields that just like to shoot things out their poles in terms of, of you have rotation about an axis. In this case, the dynamo, for whatever reason, isn't completely aligned with the rotation axis, and that leads to a north and south pole that repels it uh, charged particles and as those particles move they undergo all sorts of different physics that leads to changes in energy levels that leads to release of well radio waves.
1: All right, let's go back to Jocelyn Bell then. So that was her discovery. Um let's let's kind of go back and uh sort of continue on her story. So she she discovered this amazing thing. I guess it had been the neutron stars had been theorized, but People hadn't seen the ob, ob, well. We hadn't know, seen ob pulsars observational. Yet. We haven't seen the pulsars yet. Okay, and and how was this received?
0: Well, so so neutron stars exist in binary systems. We knew they existed. It was just this idea of rotating with a misaligned magnetic field that was entirely new. That was something that that we still are like, wow. Okay, that's kind of huh. And, and so that was back in 1967 that they made these observations, worked on figuring things out, worked on figuring things out. And she went on, uh, finished her degree up. Uh, went on to work at the University of Southampton from 1968 to 73, went to the University College London, uh, was there 74 to 82. Uh, At that point, she went to Royal Observatory in Edinburgh from 82 to 91. And then eventually she landed at the Open University from 91 to 2001. And... She was an amazing educator. She was someone who spent a lot of time in the classroom, spent a lot of time with students. She worked on projects at Greenwich Royal Observatory and their planetarium, uh, serving on their board. Um, She worked as a tutor, a consultant, uh, all sorts of different tasks. Eventually, once she'd pretty much retired from active teaching, she went on uh, to. Be a visiting professor at the University of Oxford, where she was again focusing on mentoring and continuing research. Um, But what was interesting is all of this was kind of flavored with the yes, I did this awesome thing when I was young. I was a student. Yes, my advisor got the Nobel Prize for it, and I did not. But I was the student and if you're going to yell at faculty members when they try and blame their student for their failures, you should probably actually also give them the prize when their students do something awesome. And that was just a very interesting way of saying, look, just chill in a very politically correct way that really, I think, has caused a lot of people to respect her uh, across decades. And it also led to her eventually becoming one of only two women in the UK to be senior professors. So she had that 10-year dream that so many of us wish for, and she managed to be one of the two women in an entire modern Western nation that succeeded.
1: That's, a, that's an interesting response to this, because she really was snubbed. I mean, you know, the back in it was the 74 Nobel Prize in physics and a lot of fairly influential astronomers were were pretty outraged that that she wasn't part of the of the winning team and i don't i never understand that because i mean they can you know whatever's the team that wins the Nobel Prize they can kind of share it among a bunch of people three people up to 3 okay
0: and fred hoyle was actually so incensed and raised such a stink that it's considered that the stink he raised about her not getting to it led to him not getting it in 84. So you had people who were throwing such a stink that they put their own careers in political jeopardy. And that doesn't happen very often.
1: Right. And the gist of her response was, I was a grad student, part of a team. The team was created by, what's it, Hamish? And Mm -hmm. yeah, and... And we've f- we made this discovery, but but if you're gonna blame him when everything goes sideways, you should also reward him when everything goes well for being the team leader, which is a pretty um it's a pretty classy way to sort of respond to being snubbed and not getting your Nobel Prize.
0: Right, right. And that i think also reflects a lot on her upbringing a lot on her personality she is someone who's always been deeply involved in the quaker church she was raised in northern ireland where she attended a boarding school actually she had a really interesting childhood cuz she was attending the the local they they say college but it's it's actually the local girls school um lurgan college and When she was about 11 years old, she she took her exams to figure out what was the rest of her fate for her education and failed. And normally that means that you go on to study for a trade. It means that you don't go on to college. And the school that she'd been going up until that point wasn't even one that normally taught sciences. They instead put emphasis on things like cooking and womanly skills, learning to sew. And um, a bunch of parents did throw a fit. They did get science into the curriculum, but she still failed her national exams. And her family went on to send her to a private girls Quaker boarding school. So she went on to Mount School in York, and it was there that she finally started to do well in science. And it wasn't that she hadn't grown up surrounded by science. Her dad was the architect of the Armagh Planetarium, and She'd been reading his science books, but you need the passion and you need the education when it comes to exams. And her parents made sure that she got all the opportunities that she deserved.
1: It's, it, was, it's, it was a very sort of high level specialization at a very early age, kind of going straight into physics and, and progressing along that when she had kind of failed the more general test. It's pretty interesting.
0: And it, it really speaks to how different education is in other nations. Here she was at 11 and they're telling her, no, sweetie, you, you need to uh, just go study trade. You're not smart enough to, to do this professional
1: work. Maybe a hairdresser.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and her family was like, nope. Uh, and and sending your child away is a difficult task in a lot of cases. And they recognized it was what was needed.
1: So we've talked a bit about her, um, her initial discovery. What were some other kinds of research that she was involved in?
0: So I, I spent quite some time trying, trying very hard to find how many papers that she's done, that, like we did last week with Margaret Geller. And I ran into this rather horrifying uh, problem that there are a lot of Jay Burnells there are a lot of J Bells, because she's published under both names. And so trying to trace her research across all the decades has been somewhat challenging, you might say. Um, she she has continued to work on pulsars throughout her life, looking at them in the optical, looking at them in the radio, uh, looking for the awesome ones, looking for the weird ones. Um, but she... Chasing down any other research she might have done left me sort of confused in ADS because initials and last names that overlap make things difficult at times.
1: So you don't you don't have any more additional information than this one.
0: So so the best I can say is she's someone that continued to do a lot of work in pulsars and She's someone that is modest to the point that I couldn't find a website bragging about all the other stuff she's done over the years. And that pleased me and made preparing difficult. Um, so here you have this, this woman who's now in her 70s who is mostly retired. She's stepped away from a lot of her board positions. She's still plugging away at Oxford. I got to see her give a talk on pulsars there. And if you look up her initials and her last name and pulsars, you get a ton of papers. Um, But there's no website that she's written that says, and I did this and I did this and here's my CV and you can see all of the awards I've gotten. A lot of people have that and she didn't feel the need to have that anywhere. And that's kind of cool.
1: Someone should help her with her social media uh, profile.
0: (laughs) it It sort of falls into the category of of Grandma needing a social media profile. In this case, she's one of those senior scientists who's probably produced multiple generations of academic children at this point. Um, and uh, I think she's doing good
1: now. have you had you met her? Have you seen her speak? yeah,
0: yeah. I, i've I've seen her speak, and I've actually got to sit down and having com- have conversations with her. Um she's she's the type of person that she's going to be blunt she's going to if you say something stupid she's going to point it out to you in a very british way but she's also going to listen to the junior scientists in the room and she's going to look for ways to open doors and help them out and that dichotomy of not tolerating the fool while at the same time looking to raise up the people who need opportunities is, is an awesome thing. There's, there's too many people out there that will just let you say stupid things and at the same time don't work to help other people out. And she's not that person. She's just forthright and does a good job and was very tolerant of my students. Um, who, being Midwesterners, Oxford is as far away from Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, as you can get. And she sort of smiled and was British through all of the odd things that came out of their mouths
1: occasionally. Right. Oh, uh, I'm sure I would have been hilarious to talk to her. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know, you have, a, you have a bunch of friends at, at Oxford, right? What's the, what's the sort of astrophysics program like there?
0: Uh, it, it's one of the uh, big ones out there. It's a large department in terms of being uh, physics and astronomy uh, combined. Um, one of my dissertation committee members uh, came from there. I worked with people while I was there on the Texas Oxford survey as a graduate student. Um, it's, it's the type of department like Harvard or Arizona, where if you're an astronomer, you can't go through your career without at some point working with people from these places. And, uh, they do a lot of work and they produce a lot of humans and, uh, it's just a big, big astronomy center.
1: Yeah. We're endlessly reporting on it with universe today on the, the research that they're doing. So cool. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Pamela. My pleasure.
2: Thanks for listening to Astronomy Cast, a nonprofit resource provided by Astrosphere New Media Association, Fraser Kane, and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can find show notes and transcripts for every episode at astronomycast.com. You can email us at info at astronomycast.com, tweet us at astronomycast, like us on Facebook, or circle us on Google. We record our show live on Google, every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern or 2000 Greenwich Mean Time. If you missed the live event, you can always catch up over at CosmoQuest.org. If you enjoy AstronomyCast, why not give us a donation? It helps us pay for bandwidth, transcripts, and show notes. Just click the donate link on the website. All donations are tax-deductible for U.S. residents. You can support the show for free, too. Write a review or recommend us to your friends. Every little bit helps. Click support the show on our website to see some suggestions. To subscribe to the show, point your podcasting software at astronomycast.com podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. Our music is provided by Travis Searle and the show is edited by Preston Gibson.